1: My name's Sean Barker, former defender, centre-half and played right-back. Former teams were, started off at Rotherham United, uh, moved to Blackpool, Derby and Burton.
0: Um, you started out at robbery United, you signed for them when you were 16 um, as a YTS. How, how did you get spotted? Obviously, you're from Nottingham, from trial. Um, how, how was it you got spotted?
1: Um, well, I didn't actually get spotted. Probably quite a unique uh, story of mine yeah. is um, I went for trials at Huddersfield and they said that they didn't deem me good enough. Yeah. Same as Ipswich. I had five friends to Ipswich. Um, my four mates got in. And I was told that I wasn't um, up to standards really. Hmm. Um, and at 16, I was playing for um, like Ilkeston Town Juniors really, and um, hmm. South Knotts, which is your re- uh, Nottingham representatives, City Boys and South Knotts. Um, and on the Sunday, I was, um, sorry, on the Saturday, I was playing for um, a team called it, uh, Hucknall Town Harriers. Yeah. So I was just playing with my mates and. Um, uh, uh, one of our players, the left-back, Michael Book, he was at um, Rotherham and, and the manager there said, have you got any decent players that you want to bring training? Um, he brought me training and I ended up getting a, a scholarship at 16. was so
0: almost by chance a happy sort of scenario in the sense that you went to play football with your friends and then it just sort of happened from there.
1: Yeah, but probably, again, my story is probably unique. I, I never wanted to play football for, for a living. Yeah. I see it as a career. Um, I went into the Rotherham environment, um, even like as the under-16s, just got, I used to do occasional games kind of when uh, I could make it and mm-hmm. I didn't like it at all. Didn't the yeah. environment, didn't like of, of it being more professional. Um, just everything about kind of being in a football environment, I disliked. Yeah. So at 16, I had a big decision to make. Um, I got offered a scholarship and spoke to my mum and dad. Um, I kind of said, "I don't know if this is for me. I don't, yeah. I, I don't really want to do it." Um, I was my, my mum and dad started fostering when I was two. Um, mm-hmm. We've had about 180 kids in the families for about oh. tw- over 25 years.
0: Yeah,
1: I was used to this kind of home home life as well, being around lots of people and being, you know, I loved. Um, home and I wasn't ready to leave and obviously at 16 you have to go to Rotherham and, and get in digs and kind of become almost a young man at, at 16 years old and I wasn't ready for that so yeah. I was relu- a very reluctant um, scholar um, and the same happened when, when I got offered a pro didn't want to didn't want to do it I um, okay. spoke to my manager at the time Alan Neil and yeah I, I suppose people convinced me it was worth it um, mm. but I was convinced at that point. Um, so, yeah, unique that I didn't really want to do it as a okay. as a job and it's um, one that probably held me in good stead, to be fair.
0: Yeah, it's, it, as you say, it's quite unique. But obviously, you went on to make your debut in 2003. So, started to move forward. At that point, it was quite a competitive first division. You had teams like Portsmouth, uh, who were under Harry Rednet were insane. Um, Leicester City as well went automatically. Sheffield United uh, under Neil Warnock, and obviously Nottingham Forest as well with their attack. Just how much of a step up was it going into first team football from what you've been playing before?
1: Um, it, yeah, it was a, it was a, a big jump. I, I was from really 16. I, I think the the management and the s- staff knew that I was probably one of the players that is most likely to, to play professional football mm-hmm. um, physically I could cope um, kind of mentally I was pretty tough yeah technically I wasn't the greatest but but they almost um kind of so I had two years as a scholar <coughs> about three years as a scholar but my third year they, they played me in midfield to get me technically a little bit better on the ball yeah so so you could kind of prime me up to become a professional okay. Um, i I'd, I was training with the, like the first team as soon as you sign a pro you know, we're looking at 20 years back, as soon as you signed a pro, you kind of tended to train with the first team anyway. So you were in that yeah. kind of environment of eating with the first team players. I was playing uh, reserves regularly, which again, in them days, you, you would play against players that weren't playing on a Saturday. So if you played I don't know, Coventry um, midweek, anyone that didn't play on the Saturday for Coventry would be playing in the reserves. So it was pretty competitive in the reserves in them days. Uh, it was just probably the pace, the the, the and the okay. um, yeah, yeah, yeah. In terms of how quick uh, how quick the game was played and how little respite you had, the game there wasn't many stop starts. You know, even in reserves, you were, you were playing in the proper stands, but you get the ball into the stands, which That's I right. like to do quite a bit. In my <laughs> and you have to wait for to get back to you. Do you know what I mean, yeah, things yeah. like that. Whereas when you were playing, they come straight back and straight back onto it. So yeah. it was a big jump. Uh, there were some very very talented players um, in the division when I. Um, first became pro and played my first team game, and also Rotherham had a kind of a, a incredible rise in under Ronnie Moore. I signed yeah. as a sixteen League Two. They got promoted to League One, and then another automatic promotion the year after to the Championship. Yeah, uh, and they actually survived for three seasons in the Championship by being, you know, the smallest club by, uh, by a country mile, lowest paid players, players that played lower divisions. Mm-hmm. So. But my kind of characteristics and my strengths kind of suited that environment. That kind of back to the wall, bending your box, bravery, yeah, passion, desire, kind of suited my game. Um, but I didn't actually play first team until I was 21. So uh, you know, it, it kind of now, if you're 21 and you haven't played a first team game, you're struggling. But but I think because mm. I was a centre half, we had very good centre halves at the time in Chris Wales, Martin McIntosh, yeah. uh, Guy Brown. And, uh, Dave Artell. So I had to be patient, and probably that little bit of extra time, kind of adapting, um, meant that when I did become uh, play a first team game, it probably it was an easier transition for me. Is
0: it, is it a normal thing to develop your game technically by being plumped into midfield? Is that was that a normal thing to do? or Was it just a case of uh, was it a unique case in your sense? Uh-
1: I think so I, I think so I was two, I obviously I had two years scholarship and then them, them days you, you had the option of a third I think they, they knew early on that I was going to get off of my third year scholarship and probably become a pro but yeah. I suppose they highlighted one of my weaknesses which was my technical um, mm. ability my, my passing physically I was more than capable of playing midfield I would get around the pitch I made my tackles made my headers I was a horrible player to play in there but, yeah. but it just meant that I have a bit more of a ball I don't know if this is quite normal. It's definitely something in the academy at Burton that we look at to try and, if there's a player that's um, showing so many signs of, of um, quality that, that you think might hit a pro at some point, you mm-hmm. kind of then go, well, let's keep on things they need to improve. Let's kind of look at where else we can play. Uh, and Alan Nil just made the decision, that, you know, I was 18, 17 years old, I said, right, we're going to have a full season in certain midfield. I definitely uh, benefited from it. Yeah, um, definitely f- understood what it was like to play in midfield and because and I, was, I was quite uh, tactically aware quite, quite um, intelligent on the pitch I could understand what it was like for a centre-half to play with a midfielder as well so I, I, so I understood the aspects of when they wanted the ball how they wanted it mm-hmm. um, what you'd expect from a sitting midfielder at the time Yeah. Um, so in terms of the game technically and tactically it was, it was a big uh, big plus for me
0: um, in the following season you mentioned they stayed up uh, in a vision for a couple of years, you went on to make 133 appearances for out in that time and as, a, as, a, as an academy graduate it's quite a huge achievement. Um, so what was it like leaving Robbram? Obviously you've come through the academy, you've stayed with them, what was it like leaving at that point after so many years?
1: Um, well, it was tough, there was quite a sour ending really at yeah. for me. I was 23. Um, a couple of chairmen ca- came in after Booth had left the, the club as being the chairman, and mm-hmm. um, yeah, got the club in, in a bit of a mess. And it was in administration. I haven't. I, I wasn't offered a contract. You're supposed to get offered a contract before a certain time if you're mm-hmm. under 24 to kind of um, protect you. And um, I wasn't offered. A- when I was offered a contract it was less than I was already on and I was probably on half of the wage of a lot of other players that were at the club because I'd come through the academy Mm -hmm. and I kind of felt that I needed to make a bit of a stand I said look you need to you need to give me a better contract and you need to um, kind of value me more than you are and yeah I I, I found out um, probably the first time that I realised football is how I think it is it's a bit of a clubs can see as as a commodity and it's their kind of their uh, their property almost and, mm-hmm. and they, they they put in the paper that I'd re- refused to train and um, they weren't offering um, kind of anywhere near what was at least reasonable. I wasn't ask, asking for astronomical money, I just, something that I felt I deserved. Yeah. I played in week in, week out, mm-hmm. midfield, right backs off um, and I loved it there, I was desperate to sign and, and they ended up telling me I couldn't come and train and then put it out in the papers that I was refusing to train, which was absolute nonsense. So, yeah. uh, And I, th- I think that I refused to sign for 50 quid. And anyone who knows me and kind of knows how I am knew that that was absolute rubbish. But for the first time, I, I, I felt the, the kind of force of, and the power of a club and people that are in charge kind of making you look the way that they want you to look. Um, and I ended up, I still wanted to sign it, and um, they refused to, to to let me sign um, and then Simon Grayson kind of heard that I, I wasn't signing or, or wasn't training at Rotherham at that point and said look come to Blackpool um, we don't care whether you sign or I would like you to sign but I think it's important you keep fit I think it's important you get you, you're ready for the start of the season we, we'd mm-hmm. offer you the opportunity to just try and see if you enjoy it and if you don't and you go back to Rotherham that's fair enough and if you do it works for us so you offered me the opportunity to to go and train there. And when I was training there, yeah, then I got a call from um, Nilly, the the manager, saying that the chairman will not allow you to play for this club again. So, um, they made their mind up and then up with Blackpool, probably about a month later, um, it was going to go to Tribunal, but I think they sorted something out so I could play the first game of the season. And to be fair, it was probably the best thing that happened to me um, Mm. in my career, um, leaving a club that you'd been you loved uh, and you'd obviously played for since you were 16 years old and yeah. probably needed that that new start, that fresh beginning. And from that moment, um, my first year at Blackpool is when I really loved playing football. I, I became, yeah. became my own person. I felt like I'd, I was more of a senior player. So I played quite a lot of games in the Championship and mm-hmm. I signed in, in League One. But at that point, Bellicon, uh, 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 Valerie Bellicon had, had invested in Blackpool and he signed players like myself, uh, Ian Ever, uh, Andy Morrell, Wes Houlihan, David Fox, uh, Klaus Jorgensen, Mike Jackson. There was about 15 players that come in, all of yeah. real quality and obviously uh, been successful with Simon.
0: Well, obviously you went on to have three years at Blackpool and obviously you mentioned um, at the start about you know leaving home to, ro- to go to Rotherham. Was it Hard to go to Blackpool because obviously it's a bit further away from the family home, or was it just a case of wanting to focus on your career?
1: Um, I think at that point I was, t- you know twenty-three. Uh, I've been away from home since I was sixteen years old, so mm-hmm. I'd, I, I, you know, at that point I was used to it. Um, I'd, I've been with my wife now, my girlfriend, since I was sixteen years old, and mm-hmm. we uh, signed pro when we the first started playing first team football. We moved yeah. in together. In a house in Rotherham so it was just kind of a um, kind of a new a new beginning and a different mm-hmm. step. And and to be fair, what I loved about playing football um, is the fact I've moved around the country. Yeah. We we would if we stay in the same place. So so I saw it as a bit of a bit of an adventure. And we moved to Manchester um, first. You know, you lived in Rotherham in a small little town. Yeah. to move to a big city, Manchester, um kind of blew me away a bit and and had. St- so many good times there. Um, there was probably about four or five of us that travelled from Manchester to Blackpool each day, so you only had to drive once, once a day. Uh, sorry, once a week uh, in your car school. Um, so, yeah, so no, that, that, at that point, um, living away from home, um, living away from family was normality and uh, it was something that I quite enjoyed.
0: You won promotion in your first season. What was it like winning at Wembley, going up the Wembley steps and having that moment?
1: Um, it, it was pretty surreal it's fair to say that I never envisaged um, one playing professional football and two probably having the career that I have done and I think we were the third game ever to play at um, New Wembley I had mates down there my dad's booked a hire a coach obviously with, with a big family I think there's about yeah. the 50 of my family um, aunts and uncles and kids you know my brothers and sisters um, he hired a full coach to get all of our lockdown and um, my dad said it's the f- first bus driver that didn't actually know where Wembley was and you can see obviously <laughs> if you go in the round yeah massive arch it's yeah. quite
0: noticeable when you go down the m one
1: Somehow we got lost and turned up uh, like two minutes before kick-off and my dad's a proper stress head you know he stresses about everything when it comes to football have I got the tickets where are they going to be left <laughs> yeah. all this and, and we got there just in time but to, to, to have to play at a, a stadium like that in front of nearly seventy thousand people was was um, something I thought was was unachievable for for my um, kind of qualities, I suppose. And, mm-hmm. and it was yeah, amazing experience. Something that that I'll never forget. I went in. We actually all the Blackpool lads went into that game knowing we weren't going to lose. So it was probably oh. more relaxed than when they get to Wembley. We'd won nine in a row or eight in a row. Mm-hmm. Smashed everyone. In. You know, the last quarter of the season, we were the best team in the league by a yeah. country mile. Had uh, Andy Morrell, who was on fire. Um, Keegan Parker was causing mayhem every time. Oh yeah, he scored he the screamer, today. didn't he? he did yeah. It, yeah. he was just it was frustrating. He, he he was offside more times than he was onside, <laughs> but he'd always get two or three chances a game. Yeah, and we were all blessed to be in the same team as Wes Houlihan, which he was an absolute genius and. Um, yeah, we went into the game knowing that would knowing that would beat Yeovil. No one would get promoted, and and it's probably yeah, very rare that teams go in with that much confidence.
0: It's obviously quite coincidental that Derby obviously won promotion uh, that same weekend. But going back to Blackpool, obviously they, they had a mixed first season in the Championship. Obviously being a relatively new club coming coming up from League One, it obviously can be quite difficult. But they brought in some of the. Um, Playoff heroes from the previous season, obviously Stephen Craney, Alex Baptiste, Gary Taylor-Fletcher, Matt Jilkes, they all came in. Did you ever think there was foundations uh, for a side there to kick on for promotion, or is it almost building up to no. something?
1: No, we, we had some quality players. There's no denying that. Um, the, the aim uh, when I was there, until Holloway took over, was survive. Yeah, um, and realistically, we, we that was that was our objective to stay in that division. We were, you know, one of the smallest clubs, one of the lowest paid, um, one of the smallest squads. Uh, mm. On paper, probably the, one of the weakest squads. We had some quality, there's no doubt, but probably not enough to compete. Um, you, you could see the, you, you could see a side uh, and a foundation building and, and getting a little bit stronger each year. Very similar to kind of how Rotherham felt, that, that you just had a few players each year, but what you had is, is a togetherness, um, really tight group of lads uh, you know, lots of players will say our type of group is but after our, our wives and girlfriends were very close so if you yeah. had a night out there'd be like 13 lads all with the wives yeah. proper kind of like real mates away mm. from football as well and we still touch um, to date you know, it was only a few weeks back we were Zooming with eight or nine of the lads with the missus. Um and, and that's that's very special and it's something that um, if you start with a foundation having a, yeah. a team spirit and a together Probably the most uh, important thing for me. So we had that. We added a few players, but to even contemplate promotion from that division was uh, was ludicrous at that point. Mm. And it's only really when Ollie came in um, I was with him for probably six weeks, four weeks, six weeks before I was sold to Derby. Yeah. And I'll, I'll be honest, in the first couple of weeks, all the lads are looking around, going, "What is he on?" Because <laughs> he was talking about promotion. Positive, and yeah. this is how we're going to play. We're going to play teams, and and you, you obviously you, you all you've known for two or three years is surviving, yeah. And he's then saying, and you're going to, you know, you're going to um, take clubs aren't going to know what's going to happen. We're going to be the best footballing team, and his enthusiasm and and belief and confidence um, just just obviously was just caught with the lads, uh, yeah. and I don't think it it'd be five games into the season where they started to look like. How he wanted them to play, and they were playing out certain ways um, from the back, and, and and he had some good footballers in there as well. And it probably he yeah. got the best out of every player, mm-hmm. and I think if you ask any players from the 2010, was it that he got promoted? Yeah, if, if you ask any of the players um, from that year that got promoted, who the favourite manager is, I'm sure it will be Oli. Um, mm-hmm. And if they became coach, sure, a lot of the ways uh, and the techniques and the style that he wanted to play and how he was with the lads um, I'm sure it's rubbed off on all of them when they've gone to the next step to coach Do
0: you ever regret missing out on the Premier League obviously they, they went up the season he signed for Derby is there any regrets there moving to Derby at that point or is it just a case of moving to another club at the right time
1: No, no I, I, I'm not one for, for regretting I,
0: hmm. I think you make a
1: decision um, based on real time and at that moment and, and for me I think we'd had Blackpool had eight players yeah. sign on as pro most of the lads you know it's a club again that was expected to try and survive i was obviously a good boy so coming back to the midlands um offered a lot more money um i've got a kid at that point so mm. when you talk about monetary uh, kind of terms for me it's, it's all about what i provide for my family what yeah. i provide for their future i've never been a materialistic guy who buys watches and get Champagne on nights out and buys tables and cars. Not interested in that. It's not that's not for me. What what's important to me is is getting a future yeah. uh, and a, a better future secured for my family. And that was that was the reason main reason why, because I was a lot more and I was given the opportunity to play for a club that had you know that had thirty thirty two thousand week in, week out, which yeah. again for me it's probably i probably lack self confidence when it comes to my ability. But I was like, "There's way in the world that you know I'd end up signing for a club like that." Um, yeah. And I remember when I signed at Derby. Me and my wife were like, "They've, they've got, surely they've got the wrong guy. They can't <laughs> be signing you." Uh, and yeah, and I signed. And, yeah, that that's just. It felt like the right time. Um, uh, you know, everyone at Blackpool at the time felt you could tell they were a bit a bit jealous that I was going to sign for a club like Derby and obviously mm. getting good money. And so, any of them would have done it. Any of them would have done it. So, and, and it, for me, it was it was just a perfect club. Um, I spoke to Nigel; instantly liked him, um, and kind of felt that he wanted me um, to, to come into a club and really kind of show off my best qualities. Yeah, and, and again, that goes um, grit, determination, desire, wanting to be better, wanting the team to be better. Yeah, um, and he didn't sell the didn't sell the club uh, as a this club's going to get promoted it's going to go to the next level you could be okay. playing in the premier league never sold it completely honest i said this club's an absolute mess it's been run before there've been contracts that've been given out just it just it was just honest and it was quite refreshing to hear a manager cuz kind of tell the truth and not trying to blindside you with all these kind of stories and expectations and yeah. um, you know i've heard it from a few managers and and that season, I probably could have signed for a dozen clubs, um, and Derby. You know, speaking to Nigel and, and where the club was at, at that point, it felt right, um, yeah. and I liked him and liked what. Obviously, he showed me around the club, uh, put me on up at Morley Hayes, which is a, the hotel they put you in,
0: uh,
1: and it's notoriously bad for bad reception. Um, <laughs> And he, he they obviously heard that Forrest were going to come in and try and scupper the deal. Um, so he put me in there so that I didn't get any reception. And on the way to sign the next day, <laughs> 20 missed calls from my agent saying that Forrest were coming in and, and they were offering more money. And, wow, um, you know, that, that they were going big that season, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Um, Nig- Nigel knew this. I'd already said to him I was signing. So for, for me, uh, and I'm sure he, he would know now that if I. Put my word to something yeah. that I would have stuck no matter. I told
0: Major I said don't. bring Forrest back to say just say I'm not interested. I'm signing for the Derby. Obviously, you mentioned why Derby were your choice, but Forest were competing at the the top end of the table under under Billy Davis at the time. How, you know, was it a decision based purely on meeting with Nigel Clough, for example? Would anything have swayed your mind if the negotiation weren't as straightforward as, it, as you as you say?
1: Yeah, well, I, I, I'm a Nottingham boy, so I, I got brought up uh, sporting Forest. My dad used to uh, follow Forest in in the Clough years, and, and obviously with kind of unprecedented uh, success, obviously oh. in the league and in Europe. All my friends were Forest fans, and so there's there's something special about uh, being offered the chance to play for your local team, yeah. the team you brought. Watching, I used to watch Nigel growing up and um, you know the time with with, with Clough and Pierce and Wone and Collymore that kind mm. of period is when I was loving football so instantly you have that kind of attraction I suppose to a club but it yeah it was just as soon as Nigel sold sold the club really as soon mm. as I spoke to Sir so nigel that um, uh, I knew that I could get more money at Forest I knew that they had a better chance to get promoted and, and again it kind of comes back to what you want and and, mm-hmm. and I wanted to go in and do a job for Nigel because instantly I liked him and, and felt um, his honesty and, uh, and his yeah. kind of integrity was more important than, than maybe my personal success and I wanted I saw it as an opportunity to, to do more than just be successful myself to try and be successful for for a group
0: for a manager, for a team and for a, for a club that had been struggling for a few years. You joined Derby at what seemed like quite a big transition, a, a time of transition for them. Obviously, you alluded to it earlier with, with, with contracts. Just how big a transition were Derby going through at that point? Because I think, as many of us expected, we, we'd have been hoping for competing at the top off the table, maybe the playoffs, etc. after what we'd, what we'd done in previous seasons.
1: Yeah, it would be impossible for me um, to try and explain the task that Nigel had at that point to to change the future of the club, um, the, the 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 transition and the progress of the club to go forward. I think there was thirty six pros signed. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was probably ten pros that weren't in and around the club, so just getting paid and staying at home. The money that was getting paid was astronomical. The thing yeah. I noticed more than anything when it came. Um, into the squad and into the uh, environment and into the training ground was people didn't care. They were paid a fortune and they didn't care about the club. They didn't care about uh, their own morals and their own standing. And it was just money. That it, and it's it kind of stunk of that straight away. And I was used to this little blackpool and little rotherham where you fight for everything and yeah. you, you 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 know a man a twenty man squad everyone having to be fit and getting through injuries and, and doing anything to, um, to, to to pick up a result and it was the complete opposite and that was the the biggest um, problem that Nigel faced. I know that he had to sell maybe three players to, to bring me in. So you're talking about a player that was uh, bought for less than a million pounds, mm-hmm. wasn't asking for economical money at all um, and he had to sell three players and and his most of that pre-season was him having to pay players to leave the club mm-hmm. because they couldn't afford financially for the club to keep going forward with the money that they, were, they still had two, three years on the contract. So not only have you, you know, you've know you got players that are coming to the end of the career 32, 33, 34 whatever yeah. that aren't that need to be they've got good names but aren't at the standard they need to be that are paid money that the club can't afford to pay that have no desire to, to grind out Uh, results and and get through injuries Um, and that's why it ended up being like a smaller squad used with Nigel and used some of the more experienced players like uh, Robbie Savage and Rob Hulse and Mm Chris Commons and Eric Thiel and Paul Connolly it used them players kind of in that short term period to kind of keep the club um, competing in the division because if they weren't there yeah, they probably would have because I think they were only something like seven or eight points off the year before from being in the bottom three, mm-hmm. so it's that close. And if uh, you, so, you have to have some some sort of um, uh, I suppose core of your original group, and then over the course of three or four years, you have to bring some of the youngsters through. So you had Will Hughes, Jeff Hendrick Mark, Mark O'Brien. Uh, you had players coming from lower divisions: Ben Davis, uh, Dean Moxie, jo- uh, Jake Buxton. Mm-hmm. So you, you then have to, transition is so slow and, uh, and um, probably tiresome for everyone. Yeah. It takes a long time to get to the position to really challenge. Um, and, and that was probably the frustrating thing for me when Nigel was, was sacked because I felt that division that, that season and that division was the best opportunity for, for the club to get into the playoffs under Nigel. And mm. I said at the start of the season, I, I, I fancied of being in the top six. Bryson had just been signed um, we had, I think, Keo had just signed Johnny Russell, Chris Martin, yeah, yeah, uh, Will Hughes. Was, we had a really, really good squad, and it was very tight knit. Um, and the best way to explain how you know that that season with with Nigel is the two clubs that got promoted, which were Burnley and Leicester, came yeah. to Pride Park and sat back. They didn't want Derby to play because they feared that we could play, and it said a lot about. We at that point, um, so we were really disappointed that, that Nigel did get at least that season to 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 give it a go to to, to see if he could get in that top six because we were edging there each year very slowly we were getting to the top six I think we finished maybe five six points out of the top yeah. six the previous year in ten we were' not miles off, and we had a much better squad that year, much better squad so yeah it was a, it was a tough transition it took Nigel a long time um, I saw the change over two or three years. Um, I just, you know, obviously was gutted that I couldn't be more,
0: um, I couldn't do more on the pitch, obviously, with Mm. my injury. Your your first season was quite a slow start for you because obviously you came in with an injury. You came quite late in pre season. Was it a surprise to win player of the year?
1: Yeah. Yeah, massively. Uh, Probably probably not when I got towards the end because I Mm. felt I performed pretty consistently over the course of the season. But, um, and you tend to have an idea of how the fans. Think of you, um, and and you know how they interact with you, how they talk to you. Um, they were very kind of um, supportive of me, and very vocal in terms of um, yeah, talk about my performances. Maybe, yeah. Nigel said before I signed, they want someone who will head it and kick it. They'll put the body on the line. Mm. Um, that's they missed that for a couple of years, um, and there's, that's that's exactly what they appreciate. And that's why players like Jake Buxton have always been. Um, kind of well thought of as well people that they can relate to um, mm. people that spend time with the fans but also whether good or bad however they performed you know that they couldn't have given any more um, so so over the course of the season I felt that kind of bond and, and that relationship with the fans um, but it's not something I would, would have even considered at that point I was coming into the uh, season thinking how am I going to get in the team it's a bit of a competition but I knew that Nigel thought that. <coughs> it's um, yeah, it, it took a little bit of time to get going. I'd not done... The pr- two pre-seasons were absolute po- polar opposite. So, yeah. Ian Holloway didn't do any running at the start. It was always quick feet, passing drill, shape on an 11-a-side pitch. So, you, yeah. it's all about your, your patterns and how he wanted to play. And then later on in that pre-season, you start to do running. Nigel did a lot of the running and it's hard. Nigel's pre-seasons are tough. Um, yeah. Some of the... Uh, uh, probably the same as when his dad used to do it around Alistair Park and uh, kind of it's just a mental grind rather than a physical one and I came into their very my first training session was their very last pre-season run and it was the worst I'd ever experienced Uh, that was was the Thursday and we had our first game at Chesterfield on the Saturday Yeah, and obviously I came on at half I still couldn't feel my legs and I had the (laughs) worst pre-season worst debut for a club that you can imagine I think my fault for two goals. I'm sure the fans are thinking, "What, what has he signed here?" Um, and I got a pretty much a yeah, exactly. And I got <laughs> a, a very pressing down after the after the game. Um, and yeah, that that's kind of like I was like, right, okay, well, it's not started well, and I got a little bit better as the preseason c- continued, and then yeah. pulled a, a thigh um, a couple of weeks before the season started, so I had to obviously sit out the first few games, but. Once I got in the swing of things, and once I was getting myself fit, um, I started to perform a little bit better. Uh, and then, yeah, just just consistency. I, I had quite a few players over the first few years at Derby to play alongside. I had Jake mm. at the start. Towards the end of the season, I think it was was it Russell Anderson? Or was that the year after? I think it was Russell Anderson at the end yeah. of that season. So, um, not the, not the easiest season with with injuries and, and uh, form at the start. But yeah, I felt that I performed well enough towards the the second
0: half of the season. If you could see us recording, you would notice that Justin and I generally wear a different football shirt almost every week. There's nothing that fuels nostalgia more than an old football shirt. And guess where you can get them? Classicfootballshirts.co.uk. Absolutely. I spent plenty of money there and got myself some cracking purchases. Just recently, I started sporting an AZ Outmore training shirt and a Hoffenheim training jumper. So pretty different. Exactly that. And it's not just football shirts. You can get training wear, footballs, boots and match-worn stuff from former pros. There genuinely is something for everyone, no matter which side you support. So find what you're looking for at classicfootballshirts.co.uk or visit them in store in either London or Manchester. obviously going into the second season um, that's when we I think as a Derby fan you started to see a bit of transition to the football side of things from Nigel Clough Start to play out from the back a bit more um, we had technical players obviously we signed James Bailey um, John Braford came in um, but the, the very first game of the season uh, obviously played Leeds away you weren't meant to play at all obviously Russell Anderson um, started the game he got injured just describe um, exactly what what happened around, around that? Because obviously you weren't meant to play.
1: No, no. So the the previous season um, we were playing um, Peterborough and like a Muswood game away, mm. um, and I jumped up to, when when I had a uh, landed funny uh, on my on my right knee. So years ago I did my uh, my PCL uh, when I was at Rotherham and never got it kind of um, fixed properly because unless you have to, you, you kind of just let it. Kind of set yourself yeah. So I had a little bit of give in my knee and I landed funny and and I um I felt a pain. Uh, I told the physio afterwards and, and the gaffer kind of said, Look, let's get through to the end of the season and then get yourself whatever you need. So I went in for an op at the end of the season. We thought it'd just be a bit of a clear out and they uh realized they've got a, a chondral defect, which is like a little bit of a crater in your bone. Mm. Um, and the um the surgeon wanted to. Operate there and then, which meant that I was going to be out for about eight months. Yeah. So we spoke to the specialist in London, and he said if if I look after myself and do um, only train two or three times a week maximum and do gym work, I might be able to get away with it over the next eighteen months, and then I won't need the op. So that's the that's the option we took. Um, and I did it. I, I did my operation in the summer Pre-season, It was going to bit taking a bit longer than, than we was expecting, and I actually trained for the first time on the Friday before. The first game of the season away at yeah. Elland Road um, I was just coming training, and he said oh you look pretty good out there I said yeah I felt <laughs> okay to be on this so obviously I've not done any pre-season no running yeah. nothing it was my third season. and he says um, oh yeah well um, obviously you'll be coming tomorrow I said yeah yeah I'll be coming he said I would like you to come on the coach I said yeah of course yeah he said it would be good that lads have got you rounds. so I said okay and then uh, he said just bring your boots if you want to do a little bit half time you know, like yeah. a little bit of passing and being yeah, yeah, yeah. like, oh, yeah, yeah, well, perfect. So I took my boots and then I think just before the next day, we we're just about to leave to go to Edinburgh Road And he got on and says, I'm thinking about putting you on the bench. Just, I think it'd be good that the, the fans will see you kind of fit because they've not seen your pre season. I think it'd be mm. a good little boost for the lads knowing the player of the year is kind of back in, and he's back in the squad. So he says, We won't be using you, but obviously, um, it'd be good that you're on the bench. And it's something that's always, um, Always stuck by, even when mm-hmm. I was at Burton. but if if you you're not going to use all your subs, so having someone that might influence the warm-up or influence yeah. the last two minutes, influence the bench, he valued that more than maybe having another player um, that was probably fitter. And uh, yeah, just before half-time, Russell Anderson used to do every preseason, fly through preseason, and both preseasons. I think he got an injury in, in the first game, and he. Uh, he pulled up with about five minutes to go before the half-time with a hamstring. Obviously, it was torn. He was struggling to move and I looked around the bench and I realised there was no one else to go on, etc. <laughs> <on. laughs> I know exactly what's going here. Yeah. So I put my shin pants on without anyone noticing, did my boots up properly and I, I was walking in and Gaffer said, have you got a minute just before the lads went into well, the lads yeah. went into the changing room? He, I said, yeah, I'll play. They said, yeah, look, it's a long season. I don't want to yeah, kind of in the first game. Um, I don't, I don't, I didn't really want to do this. It's was like, "Gaff, I'm, I'm, fine. Put me on." And then, obviously, I came on and played the last forty-five minutes. We won one nil.
0: It was two-one. Two so, it was and um, Commons.
1: Yeah, well, yeah, it was two-one at half time, and uh, I, yeah, played the last forty-five minutes and, and probably did as well as I've done at any point in the previous season. Just headed everything. Um, should should have actually scored. Casper Smeichel made a. Unbelievable save on the line, <laughs> um, and then played every minute that season until I needed the, the op the, uh, at yeah. the end of that year. Uh, as the season got went further in, when he got deteriorated, got worse and worse, and, and I was playing that season really without training. So it, wow. it's a handful of training sessions September maybe. Yeah. So I I was literally I wrapped up like cotton wool. Uh, just stayed in the gym with a physio on the bike. Didn't do anything outside. Just watch the lads and then would just be pretty much wheeled out for, for the games. <laughs> okay, some of the times he would even say, Don't need to do the warm up if you don't want to, but just because he knew he could trust me that, that I'd yeah. go out and perform. So, like, do whatever you need to if you don't want to go out for, for the warm up, just have a bath, do your stretches, anything you need to do. I was like, and I used to say, Look, I need to do the warm up with the lads, I think it's important that yeah. I'm kind of in and around it with the lads. <laughs> so, yeah, so probably unique that one a manager would trust you that much and give you that much respect to to just go just play for me that's it Uh, and secondly I think he always valued that I would put the team and um, him and and the club in front of my own um, kind of um, Mm. to prioritise my own own, uh, kind of opportunities because I knew that the clubs were kind of watching me after that first season and and teams that were in the premiership were, were kind of keeping an eye out for me yeah. but that wasn't even thought about it was just get through the next game for the, for the team get okay. through the next game and, and that's, that's how I saw that season so for me that second season was probably the most um, successful in terms of my own personal um, kind of fight and, and um, how, what I achieved with kind of the situation I was in
0: did the objectives change at all that season? Obviously, Rob Hulse was sold at the end of the the summer transfer window. And then Chris Commons was sold in the, the the winter transfer window. So, at what point did the uh, we signed Alberto Bueno as well? It was obviously a big signing for for Derby fans. How much did the objectives? How much did they shift from sort of one spectrum to the other? Just because I imagine from a fans' perspective, it might seem a lot. It, it was.
1: Um... The first season was about fighting to to kind of just get points without a shadow of a doubt however means necessary to to get the points we needed to stay in that division. The second season what what we want to start expressing ourselves a little bit more we changed the formation so we Mm -hmm. had like a three in midfield uh, with Sav sitting we had Alberta just dropping in and Como dropping in and up front and um, I think Como was was a big loss losing him around Christmas time. We we were playing pretty well. Yeah. I remember going to Doncaster, I think we won maybe three two or something. And Doncaster were at that point were probably one of the better footballing teams in the division and absolutely played him off top Um we were some of some of the football we played that year was was, was yeah. unbelievable. Like I said, we had old Bert in that first six months, what a player he was, um, how he kind of contributed to the to the team, the flow of the game. Um, Conor was obviously playing well. Uh, Tommy Sifka, we, we, we had Luke Moore came in on loan yeah. and it was a lovely technical player. We were playing out from the back, which really didn't suit me. Um, it suited D. Lee. So, anyone who had a good eye would notice that we used to shift, like, as soon as it was a goal kick for the opposition, I would shift to make sure that that was my role, I got a yeah. chance to edit. When I played out from the back he was always the one that we tried to give it to because he was a much better footballer than me mm. and, um, we, yeah, we, had, we had a good footballing team and um, probably performance is why I should have finished higher, higher in the division but we lost Common which is a big was a big loss for us because um, mm. I think he'd already got 50 goals and, and had that rare kind of quality in that division that's something a little bit special and Alberto Bueno definitely dropped in that second half of the season I remember him coming out Burnley at, just before Christmas it was absolutely chucking it down it was so windy yeah. it came out it was about seven stone went through <laughs> his little hands his long sleeve shirt and I thought he's not going to go as well in the middle of winter uh, when the three three games uh, kind of sorry two games in a week for the for the next eight weeks yeah. and we definitely saw the best of him at the start of that, that, that season but some really you know positive things that came out that season um uh, John Brayford was had one of them seasons that you can't fault any any game of his, and James Bailey did really well, and it looks um, yeah promising from that point uh, that we that we were a better team than the previous season.
0: Obviously, then going into the third season, I think there were relatively high hopes for Derby. Obviously, Jason Shackle came in, um, Craig Bryson was signed that season, Jamie Ward was signed on a permanent. The squad was starting to to be put together, and then obviously. Your injury happened uh, against Forest. Just talk us through to how you dealt with the injury, especially in the, in the initial stages.
1: Yeah, it, it's it's hard to describe really. I've I've kind of I've been pretty, but, but until I came to uh, Derby, i would pretty much played every every game. Um, I've, I've missed maybe a handful of games through injuries, mm. um, and. I got the injury the second that it happened or even just before it happened I knew that something serious was going to happen. Mm. I saw a tug guy on my left and Frankie coming out and obviously I, f- I felt the initial snap and I felt my leg go the wrong way. I thought i broke my leg. Uh, I was expecting my leg to have been broke and that's why I just laid still and just kind of waited for, just tried to stay calm. Obviously I saw people running over and kind of pulling faces and, and, and screaming to the physios but the hardest thing is the, the initial assessment. So we went to, after the um, the game had finished, because I, I stayed until um, I knew what had happened. And obviously Bucco came on and was a good friend of mine. He, he, his really, his derby career started when mine finished. So it was a nice kind of, almost like a baton, to kind of pass on to him. It, it yeah. just happened that way, that he got scored the goal and then ended up being a court hero for the club as well. And And I... <clears throat> I stayed around till after the game had finished everyone kind of came in and, and obviously were visibly upset I went off to Derby Hospital to, to kind of get looked at and get scans and it was two days later I, we sent the scans to Andy Williams who's the leading knee specialist in the country if not the world um, and he said yeah pretty much straight away my ACL my PCL my MTL my LCL my patellar tendon and my chondral defect which is what I was out with eight months before I doubled in size, um, my meniscus had snapped, so pretty much everything that held the top half of my leg to the bottom half was it was just held by skin, all the ligaments, all yes. the tendons, everything else had just completely obliterated and um, so minimum really at that point was at least two years if at all i I got playing, but I spoke, I went down and spoke to him, and he seemed fairly confident he could get me playing again, uh, and that was all I needed. Um, I got the assessment. Obviously, I, was, I, I saw my wife and just said, look, you've got to give me a few hours here. Just me get, me, get my head around it for a few hours. I think it took me a day to kind of work out what the plan was. And then it was from that moment, it was a challenge. It was, it was, a, it was a personal challenge that I was kind of looking forward to and thriving to do. Um, it was going to be tough watching, obviously, from the stands and, and not being out with your mates. But the quicker you can get your head around it, the quicker you can assess how you're going to get back to playing and what your objectives are and what your focus is on, uh, the quicker you can kind of start improving. And, and the only way that I could do that is with being this super positive, probably annoyingly positive <laughs> to, to some people. But, yeah, and seeing it as a challenge. That's all that I did through the five years uh, of getting back on a football pitch is seeing it as a challenge and, and one that I didn't want to fail on. Yeah. People always talk, would tell me you're not going to play again and it wasn't about proving them wrong it's just that I always believed I would so it's kind of like a personal challenge for me to 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 say what I you know to achieve what I've I've always said that I would do uh, but yeah it was extremely tough but strangely it was a thoroughly uh, enjoyable kind of process you just have to kind of uh, blank some of the negatives yeah. out that, that came along the way
0: Obviously, Derby renewed your your contract. What? Well, how much did that mean to you? Obviously, I think Nigel Clough paid a big played a big part in it. How much did that mean to you? Obviously, giving you that that extra time um, to get back again. Well, well, I had two years left on my contract, um,
1: and within a month, the gaffer came to me and said, um, "If you could take some sort of cut to help the kind of club get so another player in, um, we'll give you another year." In other words. He knew that two years wasn't realistic, wasn't going to be enough for me to play football again. So uh, I took a cut and um, got offered a third year. And that was all all down to Nigel. You know, he pretty much ran the club at that point from yes. the top to the bottom, the finance, everything came through Nigel. So um, with me, the gesture um, and commitment of a man that um, valued me more as a person than, a, than as a player. Mm-hmm. It wasn't about getting me fit to play for him again. it was about me getting fit to to have some sort of career um, in the game no matter where it is where it was or who it was for mm-hmm. um, the 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 kind of respect and um, appreciation i I have for, for nigel and and how he's been with me as as well as many other players um, is is you know is an exceptional human being that again probably for the first time in football. Looked at looked at me as as, as me as Sean uh, as, as as the person that grew up in Trowel and lived in Nottingham and yeah. you know you know had kids um, you know tried to be a good person on and off the pitch he, he saw that and valued that more than me kicking and heading the ball for him on a Tuesday and a Tuesday night and a Saturday and yeah. um, that always kind of uh, something I'll always remember and and, and always uh, kind of be thankful for.
0: Obviously, Nigel Clough then took you to to Burton. Did you ever expect to play at Burton, or was it a chance for you to, you know, bridge a gap into the next stage of your career, uh, or prove people wrong? You know, what are the main motivations to to going to, to go to Burton? I I wasn't surprised um,
1: when when Nigel um, got the job because that's that's who he is. That's how he is. Mm-hmm. Um, I had to go back pre-season and proved that I could train and you know looked like I could offer something well that's what I was told you know whether or not he would have given me something because um that that 30 seconds on the pitch in derby surpassed anything I've ever achieved in my life anything I've achieved in football uh, just getting on the pitch after 5 years was um it, yeah I can't I can't put into words what it meant to me what it went to my family what it meant to him you know, to to, to to be the manager that gave me that opportunity after what what I'd gone through. Um, and I, when at my end of my Derby career, I was fit, I, I was able to play uh, without a shadow of doubt. I think I could have played under Steve if if he uh, valued me enough to or, or thought enough of me as a player to to put me in at that time. Um, Nigel tried to take me to Sheffield United to, to get games, um, and you know that he offered throughout the whole journey offered me. Um, Opportunities and he offered yeah. me support and um, always wanted me to, to, to get back on the pitch again. Um, and yeah, when he got the, the Burton job, first thing he did is he rang me up and said, um, I know you are not, you haven't got anywhere to train and you haven't got anywhere to get fit, come and use our physio, come and train with us whenever you're ready. Uh, if you feel like you want to carry on or want to give it another go, we're here. And that was kind of where I was left. And from that moment, I went to see Nick's front at uh, 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 Burton Use their facilities, use the training ground. Did running with them, uh, just off. You know, treated me like uh, like I was one of their players, and yeah. and I was just this guy that used to play Nigel. Uh, so it wasn't a surprise, but that kind of um, that moment was, was was obviously special, especially playing um, against the team that I did it for, and, and obviously a club that I I, I loved playing for and. You know, I, I live in Derby. I've I still live in Derby. Um, such a special club and a special set of fans to, to play for, and uh, yeah, for Burton as well with
0: with the kind of feel of the club. It was, it was just it was just perfect moment really. For me. You spoke a lot about Nigel Clough. Big testament to him. Now is obviously he left Burton Albion for the, for the good of the club, and obviously he's passed the baton on to, to Jake Buxton. Can we expect to see you in a dugout alongside Jake at any point?
1: <laughs> uh, well that's, yeah, that's, a, that's a tough one. I think we had our little <laughs> stint when we were both uh, 26, 27. yeah, um, I, I, yeah it, I'm, I, it was a big, big shame that me and him didn't spend more time playing together. I think we, uh, we probably had maybe four months at mm. once, and that was kind of early in uh, both of our careers at Derby and there's no doubt that the improved. Uh, he understood the championship a little bit more as he, as he uh, progressed. It, you know, as his time progressed through at Derby, I think he had an outstanding season. The, the year that um, we got to Wembley and, and lost out in the final, mm-hmm. uh, where he got Player of the Year, and in that year, he he he's epitomises kind of the the character and the player that that Nigel um, always wanted yeah. to play with. Um, great character, um, constantly trying to prove people wrong. You know, he's had so many. Opportunities where he's been given a chance and, and kind of told he's not going to be good enough or won't be able to manage it yeah. and, and he comes through strong in the end and that's resilience that's the mental toughness and it's, it's not an easy job uh, Nigel obviously stepped down and, and uh, again I think Nigel's been successful every club that he's been at he's, he's, yeah, he's been. obviously um, been under the sword at times and found, you know been given the sack at both Derby and Sheffield United but if you reflect and look and go well, was he successful in terms of what he was asked to achieve mm-hmm. um, and how he did that completely it was a huge success in both um, but we know that chairman and, and fans want yeah. they want excitement they want they want success, what they deem as success which is maybe promotion um, and like you know the job is done at Burton to still be competing in League One for that club um, but he's passed on um, a tough you know it 's a tough job for bucco to take on for his first role um, it, it won 't be a club that 's got massive uh, wage budget they have to rely on the academy to to bring players through mm-hmm. um, so yeah it 's pleasing um i don 't know how much bucco will play after this it 's a tough one to be a player manager yeah. and to choose those and, and uh, there 's definitely games that would suit bucco more than other players um, but it's definitely, I think the time has passed unless we're, you know, we get to 50-year-old and we want the uh, former players to to walk around the football pitch um, and try and head in a ball from, you know, maybe a couple of times in a game uh, it'll be a long time before we're probably on the pitch
0: again together. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, so what we'll do is we'll wrap up with um, a sort of a bit of a segment where we try and pick your perfect player from the players you've played with. Obviously, you've played with some quality players, Charlie Adam, Chris Commons... Uh, I think Chef Kutcher had a loan stint at Derby as well obviously it was it was it was incredible so yeah picking the perfect player using the attributes of some of um, your former teammates so heading ability who would you choose? Oh that
1: is a tough one I would actually the only thing that I'm probably confident in football uh, is say my strength is I felt I was as good as anyone in the air yeah but if I had to choose someone, maybe Chris Swales at Rotherham. Yeah. And he's he's possibly most all not technically gifted, but in terms of a defender, brave, great one v ones, block in. But he, he he was probably only six foot, really slight, skinny mm. guy, but and he any headers at all. So maybe maybe Chris Swales. Football brain. Football brain. John Brayford? Okay. And the reason I say that, um, you can put him anywhere on a pitch. Yeah. Um, managers and people presume if you can play right back, you should be able to play left back. <laughs> if you play field, you should be able to play centre half. You can put him anywhere on a pitch, and you don't have to tell him what to do, and he would understand how to play. And probably the only other player that I know that has played a full season without training, and you can notice he's not moving the same, and notice that he's in pain, but can still um, use his brain uh, yeah. and, and tactically be able to not get beat very many times. Uh, and even now, you know, he's not the same physical player that he used to be. He used to bomb, you know, bomb yeah, down yeah. the right, right, derby so much so that I'm trying to pull him back because he's too far <laughs> forward. But kind of pace and that and youthful ex- exuberance playing at right back and. He now plays right back obviously at Burton, but he he can't move the same. But he still doesn't get beat many times because mm. he knows how to play the games. He he knows when to go tight and is his knowledge when he's on a football pitch. Um, yeah, is exceptional, and that's why uh, he will you know continue to play football at a good level for a long time. This might be a, an easy
0: one. Engine.
1: Does that count? That didn't. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah, there's there's two players actually, Paul Green and Chris, well, there's two players from previous. Paul Green and Chris Portal were both very very fit players. Okay, they always yeah. used to come at the top preseason, all the stats. But obviously, Craig Bryson um, smashes it. Um, he's yeah, just just ridiculous. <laughs> he actually wasn't. It was a much better baller than people gave him credit for. Mm. Um, very rarely lost the ball. His first touch was exceptional. Scored some absolute worldy goals, as we'll remember at Derby, but his engine, and actually having an engine and willing to do the dirty bits with it as well. So not only would he go forward to get in the box, he would also track players, do the horrible side of of Mm. running around the pitch as well. Craig Bryson's engine without a shadow of a doubt.
0: Who had the, the best individual skills? Obviously, this can be passing ability or step-overs. Inside, yeah, who the best individual skill?
1: Was Houlihan without a shadow of a doubt. He was an absolute magician. Um, When when I was at Blackpool, probably one of my strengths at that point, I was ridiculously fit and quite light, and I played right back for probably three seasons. And uh, me and him used to go together in like the one v ones all the time. Just I wanted to get pushed, and he kind of he found it tough with me. He had no pace whatsoever but he just had a way of shifting his body. Quite old old school mm. in terms of just moved his body from left to right and you'd, you'd go for it all the time. And <laughs> um, he, he could see a pass, he could strike a ball. Um, the, the two years I played with Wes were... Um, yeah, was there's not many players I've known that have played with Wes who haven't said he's the best player that they've ever played with. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I played played with Charlie for for six months and he still hadn't hit his his best at that point. Como had, you know, frightening ability. His left foot was as good as anyone's. But for me, Wes Wes stands out. um, Head and shoulders above everyone. Right foot. Let's go
0: right foot. Right
1: foot. No. Are you you doing left footers as well?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Well, I... I'll start with the left foot while I'm thinking about the right foot. I think Charlie just beats Um Adam. So, Conor, his left foot was a joke. He could cross it. He could, you know, it, his volleying technique was, was, yeah, was ridiculous. Um, but, but Charlie just had this kind of awe about him. He used to come and take it off the centre halves and just try any sort of pass and, the goal that he scored, was it for Stoke uh, where he scored from the halfway line?
0: Yeah, against Chelsea.
1: So, it, he regularly used to do that and I've not seen him miss by much. Um, he always had the vision to, to strike it well with his left foot and, um, yeah, some of the goals and have seen him score, some of the free kicks, uh, just his technique with his left foot was, was frightening. So, I'd have to say Charlie with his left foot. I'm trying to think of right foot. <laughs> have you got any, any suggestions? Um, Paul Coos had a very good technique. He did, he was in. good. I take now Gary Taylor Fletcher. Um, yeah. he was, um, actually, he's right up there with the skill with one of the best and um, the best players I played with skill wise as well. He was, um, overweight, looked like he couldn't move, um, <laughs> but I, I had a brilliant right foot, scored like some brilliant goals and he'd score all different types of goals. He could volley, he could he could curl him in the top bin, he could kind of hit it with his shin in. Yeah. But yeah, he had a great, uh, he could cross a ball really well and just lovely feet. Um, so yeah, I'd say Fletch, Gary Taylor Fletcher.
0: Brilliant. It's uh, It's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the, on the Second Tier podcast. Yeah, it's, it's
1: always nice to, to reminisce about um, the time playing and probably again for someone like me I'll never get bored of talking about it because um, I always believe that if I played one professional game, that I've done more than ever expected. So, so to have a pretty successful career and, and to play for some great clubs and and have some great memories, it's it's not hard to kind of look back and look back fondly at the good times and bad times and, and be able to talk about it. So I appreciate your time. Make